0: is 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 such a beautiful thing yeah. you know and you know, like I really do believe that the mind only knows two things right the pictures you draw for it and the words that you tell it mm. and and it doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't know if you're trying to kid it or you're trying to yeah. work around or it's insecurity um, and that's that and so I think we have to be very careful with the pictures we tell ourselves or pictures we draw for ourselves and yeah. in our minds and, and the words that we tell ourselves. Um, one reason why I never, ever, ever talk about running is being painful um, or suffering in agony because mm-hmm. you, you know, if, if I talk about public speaking as being, oh, the worst thing ever, yeah. do you really think that's setting the stage for you to go out and, and, and get better at public speaking?
1: Hello folks, and welcome to the EReal to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet. And on today's show, we have an incredible guest. I know I say that about all our guests, but they truly are uh, magnificent because of the fact that every single person has a very unique story. And once you get into their history, what they've done, what they're doing and their dreams for the future, that's when you truly see how remarkable everybody is. But Dave Proctor is even slightly more remarkable and more unique, I would say, than most because he's fantastic like everybody else is, but then he just takes it an entire step further, or I should say thousands of steps further because Dave is an ultra endurance athlete like no other. So this episode is truly superb. He is currently the race director of Canada's OutRun Rare Backyard event. He finished third at Biggs last year. He holds a Canadian 24-hour road running record of 257.093 kilometers. That is incredible. That's in one go, 257 kilometers in one go. Uh, set on a looped road course in Turin, Italy, and he set that record back in 2015. Now, Dave also holds the 72-hour record for, which is 500 kilometers um, that he ran in 72 hours, the 12-hour treadmill record of 153 kilometers, and the fastest 100-mile tread. Mill record of 12 hours and 32 minutes and 26 seconds. So this means this guy is a machine. He can go, 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 go. Now, he has quite a few hundred milers under his belt, which is no small feat at all, including running 170 kilometer to the start of a hundred miler the day before the race. And then he managed to take the win the next day. So this guy has done it all. Now, what I love most about Dave is, yeah, it's great that he's run all of these races. He's broken Guinness world records. He has done a lot in the endurance space, but what I love about this particular athlete is that Dave Proctor has um, decided to use his skill set for the better and for helping build an organization that he started called Outrun Rare when he recognized that Canada was the only country in the world that did not have a rare disease strategy. So one of the things he wanted to do to raise awareness um, for rare diseases in Canada was to run 7,200 kilometers across Canada in 66 days to bring awareness about rare diseases and also to help support his son who also had a rare disease that took over six years to get diagnosed. So we're going to go through what that was like to be a father of a child with a rare disease, working in the medical system, um, and how we came to ultimately train for and Do this race across Canada. So stay tuned for that podcast because it is truly a heartwarming podcast. You're going to learn so much um, about rare diseases and think about rare diseases in a way that you've never thought about them before. Now, before we dive into the podcast, we are going to dive into my own personal feat that i'm going to be doing next year where i'll be attempting to run and cycle across canada in 75 days stopping along the way to work with indigenous communities and communities of people of color working with physicians group at groups and working with youth as well and this is part of my phd dissertation research i'll be making a documentary along the way that i get to submit as a requirement for my phd And that documentary is all about storytelling. It's how do we tell the story of what it means to work alongside Indigenous communities and to help Indigenous members remember that food is medicine, and then to also uncover the existing barriers that exist in these communities. Barriers to eating well, barriers to understanding that food is medicine, the barriers to remembering that food is medicine, because of the fact that in indigenous communities all over the world indigenous first nations aboriginal communities communities of people of color so that's african-american canadian african individuals doesn't matter where you are whether you're in australia with aboriginals maori uh the maori in new zealand um these people have been displaced from their communities and really have undergone 500 years of oppression as a result of settlers coming in and taking over the lands and then pushing people off their lands and away from the food systems that they knew, their sustainable food systems. So that meant growing food, hunting for food, traveling in search of food. And then by removing individuals from their lands, then forcing them into residential communities stripping their children away from them, breaking their hearts, um, forcing them into a lifestyle that was so foreign to them based on refined processed food, based on so much trauma and abuse. Well, it is no wonder that this trauma has carried down through the generations. And it's not just a simple matter of saying, well, get over it. We hear that from individuals that don't know the history of Indigenous members. And it's not something you just get over because this trauma is woven in to and woven throughout every grain of sand that we walk on. It's woven into every bit of fabric that touches your skin that builds up our homes and our cities and communities and that history and that trauma is so embedded that it's not something you just get over. So we are in a place where it is so important that we do embrace anti-racism and where we indulge in learning about the history of all peoples on the planet, and we start learning about what it meant to live sustainably on the planet. But we first have really important questions that we need to ask, and those questions are about the social determinants of health and the barriers to being able to access the knowledge that we need to be able to understand the systems that need to be in place that will promote health as opposed to further taking away from health. So if you're not asking those questions, it's never too late too late to start asking those questions and to start understanding what it means to be indigenous. And one definition that I love, I talk about it all the time in our podcast is to be indigenous to any land doesn't necessarily even mean that you need to be born there, but what it means is that you need to be looking seven generations in advance into the future and asking what do I need to do today to make sure that in seven generations from now, our children and their children and their children's children are going to be healthy. The planet is going to be healthy. The air is going to be clean. The soil will be regenerated. We'll be able to grow clean, real food for everyone, not just for ourselves, but really where there'll be no child, no human, no animal that is left undernourished, that is left diseased because they don't get nutrients, that is traumatized, that where you know we aren't raping and pillaging from the land and the air and the soil and the water anymore, but instead we're working to regenerate those systems and we're working to heal the planet, heal the people, heal the animals, heal every single bug, stone, piece of wood, metal, anything. It doesn't matter whether it's living or non-living. It's that everything is harmonious and lives together as the one complete system that it always has been and always will be. So that is what it means to be Indigenous. And we can all truly make a stance and make a move towards embracing that as a way of being, a way of living today onwards. So my 7,120 kilometer bike and cycle across Canada. Everybody can go to our website at richerhealth.ca at thegreenmustache.com, at our nutrition and detox wellness center site, as well as my website, NicoletteRichet.com, And you can sign up to learn about all the training that I'm doing where, you know, I got up off my chair from sit- sitting behind my desk and how I learned How to become an endurance athlete, which is something I'm not there yet. I'm still in training, but over the next nine months, before I take my one first step from Victoria, British Columbia, and start heading across Canada to St. John's, Newfoundland, you can follow my training. And in fact, you can do the training with me. Another reason you want to be part of this training is because we're going to be collecting data along the way. So if you are a woman, particularly, who is between the ages of 35 to 65, and you want to transition into being an endurance athlete, and you want to make the transition into moving your body more, switching your diet over, we want to be able to document your your journey through that as well and collect data along the way. So if you're willing to go get blood tests, if you're willing to go get lab work done, we want to follow your journey just as we're going to be following my journey as well. So head over to richerhealth.ca, sign up for our training group, go to Facebook and definitely sign up to be part of our 22 million strong training tribe. Okay. All the links are down below. So without further ado, let's jump into the jump dump. Let's jump into this podcast with Dave Proctor and his amazingness. And of course, you know what to do. If you love this podcast, share it with your friends and family so that they can learn alongside you as well. See you at the end. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. On today's show, I have a very special guest dave proctor welcome dave to our podcast yeah thanks for having me so it is a pleasure having you on our show for i mean so many different reasons number one we've never had anybody on the show to really dive into rare diseases and the whole conversation around that i mean just before we started recording here we had probably a show worthy talk on um you know so hopefully we'll go back and cover some of those things Uh, Another reason is because Dave has um, created an amazing organization called the OutRun Rare Organization. And, you know, this business is incredible. I'm going to let Dave talk about that in a second. And also just how he went about raising awareness for rare diseases. So we're going to be talking about all of those things and so much more. So, dave what i want to do is just go back to how this all began so what were you doing before you started your company
0: um i was you know i was a father um i've got three kids and, and in present day you know my oldest uh, is her name's julia she's 14 years old uh sam uh who has the rare disease uh he's he's 11 and my youngest is adele and she she's nine and so I was busy as a, a father of three. Um, I'm a massage therapist in downtown Calgary. And um, when I'm not doing those two things, I, I'm, I'm an ultramarathoner. And so I, over the number of the last number of years, I like to run further distances. Um, yeah, ultramarathons are anything further than a marathon. So a marathon is 42.2 kilometers. And so ultramarathons are anything further than that. But um, my wheelhouse is, is really, you know, a lot further than that. So multi-day, multi-week running. Over the last many years, um, I've, I've, I've gotten stronger and stronger in, in my, my craft of, of ultramarathoning. And um, I've set the Canadian 24 and 48 and 72-hour records. Um, and, you know, a in, in number of, of, of world-running records as well, too and um you know i was I was really having fun, you know you know building my fitness, uh, working on all the mental aspects when it comes to endurance racing you know the, there's so many mental aspects and fueling aspects and mm-hmm. and and recovery aspects and 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 it's it's so much more than just being fit, right it's putting everything together on a day um and it really gave me an outlet um from you know. From from my life as well too, especially as a father with a child with a rare disease, um, my my mother even to this day says, you know, Dave, you started running a lot more when Sam got sick, and right. when there was a more of a significant hurdle, um, you would just go and run more, and that was you know your coping mechanism. So, you know, and I I I I, I can't disagree with that. Um, throughout this whole process, um, I remember. Uh, breaking the Canadian 24-hour record in 2015 in Torino, Italy, uh, by running 257 point something kilometers in in one day. And um, immediately upon getting home, I called my friend Blaine Penny. And Blaine Penny uh, is a very good friend of mine, uh, but he also has a child with a rare disease. And it's another rare disease called mitochondrial disease. Mm -hmm. And you know, not all humans are created equal. There are the people that um, kind of live on in in co-pilot, and then there are those who actually go out and take life by the reins. And Blaine is one of those people. Now, Blaine ended up, um, when his son was sick with mitochondrial disease, instead of pouting and complaining and whining about uh, that, he went out and realized that there was no organization in Canada that raises funds and awareness for mitochondrial disease. So, he and his wife started one, and it's called MitoCanada. So I went to Blaine upon getting home from the um, uh, from from Italy, and I said, you know, Blaine, I think I could break the the Guinness World Record for the furthest distance run on a treadmill in twenty four hours, and I want to do that with MitoCanada, and I think we could raise a lot of money and awareness. And he was like, sure yeah so we ended up constructing an event um that we did this into 2016 where i ended up running and breaking the, the, the guinness world record for you know i think it was 260.4 kilometers on a treadmill and treadmills are tough because it's like it's a mental it's it's a mental cage that is tough to get over and we did this at the calgary marathon race expo and there were a lot of people around and i won't get into the nitty-gritty of you know how Difficult that was, or what that looked like, but it was—it was not easy. Um, upon finishing, uh, of course, number one, you want to eat your body worth of food, um, and then and then immediately you want to sleep for three days. Um, and after I got up from my sleep, um, I remember having a glass of wine with my wife on our on our patio. And during that run, during the treadmill run, I um, had this idea that there is this Canadian rec- running record that, that, that you know, it's, it's elusive. And it could be the hardest running record in the world. Um, and it's the trans-Canadian speed record. So Al Howie back in 1991 um, ended up running across the country in 72 days and 10 hours. And not a lot of people know that. You know, we know no. the Steve Fonios and the Terry Fox and the Rick Hansons. Um, but... Yeah, so Al Howie is is a beast. He, that, that's a tough record. There's 100 kilometers a day for 72 days in a row. No days off. And I told Sharon, I said, yeah, I think, I, think, I think my running is elevated to a point that that doesn't scare me anymore. In fact, it really intrigues me. But what intrigues me more is the Terry Fox story. Mm-hmm. And there's that saying that Terry Fox, it's not how far Terry Fox got, it's how far he got us. And over the last number of years, I have grown very frustrated and at times upset um, with the Canadian medical system when it comes to how they approach rare disease. And, you know, over the last number of years, you know, my son got sick first when he was 13 months old with his Yeah, rare so, disease. So
1: let's go, let's just go there for a little bit, because I think yes. a lot of people who I don't want them to get so excited about your running stories, which ah, I'm ah, very excited about. Absolutely, And definitely, you know, Al Howie, I remember reading about him and thinking oh, like man. how, like, that is incredible because I'm trying to cross nice. do a hundred kilometers a day running and cycling, um, for 75 days in a row, mm-hmm. but I'm not trying to break any world records. It's literally just to mobilize me across Canada mm-hmm. and raise awareness. But, um, so you have so many exciting running stories we can do. I want to do a whole podcast with you just on that, but mm-hmm. let's take people back because a lot of individuals out there might still be in a place where they have a young child and they yes. are going through the medical system and their child does have something going on with them, but they don't know how to ma- navigate the medical system. And right. that's what happened with you. Cause it took you a long time for your son to get diagnosed, correct?
0: Absolutely. And, and so how
1: did, yeah, how did all that start?
0: So it all started when Sam was first 13 months old. And um, he was a perfectly happy, healthy little boy um, who was, you know, like most 13-year-olds, learning to walk and falling every five steps. And, and um, yeah, and he, he, he ended up getting sick one day with what we thought was just a regular virus. And, and he had a fever. So we were, okay, let's, you know, throw in the cartoons and do some cuddling. And we noticed quite quickly, within four to six hours, that he was very, very lethargic. And he tried to get up to go do something. And he looked like a baby colt when they were first born and very wobbly. And, and the knees wobbled and the elbows and then and the neck and fell down. You're like, whoa, 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 what, what, what is that? Um, we ended up at the Children's Hospital in, in Calgary. And... Um, Upon getting there, uh, when we got there, he was completely flaccid. There was no it was flaccid paralysis there was there was nothing. They put him on a bunch of uh, life-saving machines because we just don't know if this is progressing, if like w- what is this and uh, they gave him immunoglobin, which is you know, uh, given you know to people who um, when their immune system's not fighting strong enough and it helps you fight and so in case this was a virus that was killing him. This would help he started getting better within the day and uh, he was able to then start turning his head and moving his eyes again and and, um you know we stayed in the hospital for about three weeks and he was getting a little bit better and a little bit better and 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 the doctors said you know we don't know we you know they ran all the tests but but we don't know we we don't know what to do most likely this was just a virus that attacked his cerebellum, um, which, you know, causes, you know, which is the, you know, it's the, the part of the brain that make, makes you balanced and coordinated. So, you know, mm-hmm. ataxia and, you know, he'll probably be a 15 year old kid and you'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember that time when he was one years old and this happened. So here's Holton. We went home and he was getting better and better week to week. And, um, You know he, 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 I would say he would he he was he was walking and moving like a regular, um, you know, know, one year old child, but then when he was 25 months old, so just after his second birthday, um, it happened again, and we again, you know, he got a fever, you know, and he you was he he started with his ataxia pretty bad, pretty quick. So we, again, Children's Hospital, and this time we talked to all the same doctors and nurses, and they said, okay, this is a relapsing condition. Mm. We don't know, but we're going to make a really good concerted effort of trying to find out what that was. From that point forward, um, that was the next six years of our life. Uh, we, we It seemed like we completed the Canadian healthcare system of what was you know available to us. Um, we were fighting for genetics, but genetics was really hard to 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 get at that point. Um, we knew that the answers were in genetics um, and you know but we were also not in a financial position in my family to to go and shell out the thirty to forty thousand dollars at that time for genetic work.
1: Now so, though, is it like it now though it, genetic testing is actually quite inexpensive
0: we're working with a group in Calgary that's $800 and yeah, it takes, exactly. and it takes six days, six business days to get back. And the fact yeah. that our Alberta government isn't really supporting that. Mm. I, it's, it's, it is frustrating because and that's a part of the genetic framework that, that, that we'll get to later, of course, but really mm. it took us six years to get our diagnosis. And so our diagnosis came back with uh, our geneticist, wonderful man, Dr. Innes. And he said, um, that there's a significant mutation found on a gene called ATP1A3, and it's called relapsing encephalopathy with cerebellar taxia. He was only the sixth sixth diagnosed in the world with it. Uh, It's very, rare, very new. Uh, The way that genetics are working globally, we're understanding new rare diseases all the time. Um, And so that started our, our, our forward progress with Navigating this disease, which really we still don't know a lot about. Um, you know, it, there are very few tests and studies done. They're doing more and more tests and studies on, on more uh, frequented rare diseases now. And they're making their way down to, to, to the less frequent ones. And, and RECA, we would rather call it RECA instead of relapsing encephalopathy with cerebellar ataxia, um, is, is, is 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 it's very, very rare. And so, going through this entire process, you know, we've we got, we were frustrated because we were realizing, wow, okay, maybe maybe this this took us six years, which the average rare disease diagnosis in Canada takes five years. Um, wow. Only because we're the only developed country in the world without a rare disease strategy. At
1: that time, we're one of the only countries in the world without a rare disease strategy. Yeah. Still still in 2020 and so so i just want to go back there um while these these six years were going by you know were you in and out with the doctors you know how were you navigating that over the doctors you know after the second time you know did they have a plan for you or was it kind of like let's just wait and see
0: it was a lot of let's just wait and see um we were advocating as hard as we could Um, in the best ways that I've always thought don't ever call a doctor a name they're not going to be you know and they're they're trying their best within the system that they have Um, and you know bring in cookies stop at the bakery and bring in cheese buns you know like just and say thank you Um, Mm -hmm. but over and over and over again so we were going through all the tests we were seeing all the, the geneticists all of the neurologists you know because we didn't really even know where this originated from
1: you know we were getting
0: uh, a lot of support from you know the Alberta Alberta government through Puff funding and on and so forth so it was we were getting physiotherapy OT but you know it's it was a bit of a moving target because we really didn't know what we were dealing with Um, so you know while our physiotherapist was getting us to do strength exercises there, there are a number of diseases out there the more that you do the worse you get Exactly. So we had to kind of play this by ear and, you know, we had to become a bit, you know, the experts um, when it came to noticing his changes here and there. And, and, and I think we, my wife and I did a, a really good job of, of, of that, of navigating something that really is not at all understood. There's, there's no best practices. And so, um, you know, we, we were supported um, in ways of Band-Aid solutions. And so I, I, overall, um, we just got frustrated. And, you know, um, within that six years, it's, it was, it was, it was, we, we, we now call it the diagnostic odyssey. Um, And sorry, that we don't call it that way. That was told to us by, by a friend of ours who, and he eloquently put it and he said, you know, you, you're just looking and you're searching, but you're, you're, you feel like you're in the middle of an abyss and Mm -hmm. you so desperately want to support those who you love around you your child but yet you know here you are um trying to empower trying to support and you know and and my wife and i can navigate that system but what about other families that can't
1: well that's one question that i have because you know with you being an rmt you're Mm -hmm. trained to um you know examine the body and Mm -hmm. you know uh, and to the point of you know think diagnosing, right? Like if I don't know if you can use that term as a RMT, so diagnose Mm -hmm. and then to treat. And so Mm -hmm. here you are in a system where, you know, you have a child and it's your child and thank goodness you have that skill set. But yeah, what about families that don't have the, the, you know, wherewithal to know that they can advocate, they can question, they can research, they can do all of those things and they just sit back and they're just, Waiting for somebody else to do it for them,
0: right? Right, absolutely. And you know, but w- and as well, too, what what really we, what we really had going for us was that Sam, you know, all along um, wasn't really overly complex. Like mm-hmm. his rare disease wasn't overly complex. Um, there are, I know, far too many uh, families with kids with rare diseases that they've had to attend a funeral, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't imagine really you know, what it would be like to live within this system where the system isn't really developed to support us where it needs to be. And then at that same time, your child's in dire, dire condition um, in the hospital on life support, um, going in for numerous surgeries where it's just again, band-aid solutions. And yeah. so there's a lot of hopelessness that takes place uh, within all of that. You know, we we, we found ourselves very lucky, as much as, as at times, we, we, I'm sure we, we, we thought, oh, woe is, woe is us. Um, you know, no, no, it's, it's, it, it could always be worse. And, um, you know, we, I think we all need to act in a, in a, in a way of service. And, and who can we support? Who has it worse okay. than us? And, um, and, and how, how can we better support them?
1: Yeah, I just inter. Well, I spoke at an event in Kansas for. Um- uh, for the who is Carter foundation. And that was a family that, uh, you know, they're six day old uh, had con- contracted a very rare virus. And basically um, the uh, Carter had ended up having like went from super healthy baby to 60% global brain damage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they said, Oh, he'll never live and let's take him off life support. And, you know, and he ended up living um, and, you and but their whole story was quite remarkable because similar to yours I mean you don't know what you're dealing with you don't know if it's rare but manageable rare but you know it's going to end you know with a funeral in a few weeks or a few months or a few years I mean you just don't know anything when you're going through it but you know just like yourself what I love about this family is you know they went out there and and they did exactly what you did they're just like let's get our head into the books let's ask the questions let's keep you know trying and and that's something i know from my own daughter who we're pretty sure she's got something going on rare we've ended up in the hospital with her um she has something that allows um you know her blood brain barrier is not as protective as her two siblings um but for the most part i mean luckily she's healthy so but again i to have a background so i often you know of advocating for and Mm -hmm. researching so i'm always wondering how do we empower those families who don't have that background and also how do you regard your child who has a rare disease as instead of feeling like you're a victim with the child mm-hmm. who has a rare disease, you still see them as a whole, complete child. And that's exactly what I love about the who is Carter Foundation and the parents. They really saw their child as a whole, complete mm-hmm. child, right? And you're just you're just doing what you're doing every day, even if you had a perfectly healthy child with no rare disease.
0: Absolutely. That might just need different or, or, or added supports um, exactly. here and there. And and really all children need certain supports totally. Or you know, uh, emotional support at one time or another, or uh, whatever it is, um, yeah. help with their math tutors. Um, you know, every none of us are perfect, um, yeah. and so we we all need those supports. And so you know, we 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 just want to look up upon a system and a community, really. Um, you know, the community has never been the issue. Like I mean, you know, people are willing to to go uh, like so far for yeah. for our family and and, and my son. And, and, and um, yeah, but it's, it's we, we just really hope that those supports are, are available for, for, for the more vulnerable, the most vulnerable, I guess.
1: Exactly. One of the questions I have is over those six years mm-hmm. then, um, how did you end up finding out that, you know, he had this genetic condition? Like did the genetic testing get cheaper? Did you still have to pay for it? Did the doctors advocate for it? Like, how did that all come about?
0: Yeah, so our geneticist at that time, uh, sorry, our geneticist still, Dr. Innes, wonderful man. Um, he really advocated quite heavily for us. Um, and we, we found out about this, this program that was run out of Montreal um, called Care for Rare. And what they do is they, 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 they fund um, these genetic... Um, you know the, the whole whole exome, whole exome sequences they're called, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so they ended up taking us on, and we went and got our whole exome sequence with done with them. Um, there was a couple issues within the process uh, that they ended up having to. Uh, there were there were issues within Mon- Montreal, so they ended up having to send the, the data down to I think it was San Diego and then back up again. Uh, so it did take a little bit longer, but yet still. You know, it's, 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 it's good data to have, uh, we, we, we definitely, we, it was worth waiting for. And then we were given a phone call from Dr. Ernest one day and he said, you know, I really want to get you guys in because we, I, I have news to tell you, you know, the appointment was, you know, two days later, it was the longest two days ever. Um, Cause you knew that something was, was up now, not all, not, not all good, not all news is good news. Um, you know, you could get some terrible, terrible news. Um, but you know, we thought that any news would be good because it would lead us closer to, you know, best practices and potential treatments and, on yeah. and so forth. And so, yeah, we walked into the room and they ended up, um, yeah, he had a little smile on his face and he said, yeah, we, you know, myself as a geneticist, when I can give this, um, this news, this is a very good day for me because, we found a needle in a haystack Mm. and they explained it very well of, you know, what the disease is, uh, how it acts, what it responds to. And um, yeah, it it made a lot of sense now at that point. So we left there feeling pretty lifted um, that, you know, okay, we have a general understanding now of what we're dealing with. Um, Yeah. You know, Sam could get another relapse next year. Uh, He could get another relapse next month uh, or he could never have another relapse the rest of his life. So when he has a relapse, he has to relearn how to walk and talk and move Mm -hmm. and and on and so forth. Um, Relapses do happen as, you know, teenagers and, and as, as, as young adults. Um, But he hasn't had one since he was two years old. And so Mm. we can just, you know, hang our hat on that, that, you know, we, we, you know, we, you know, the worst is over. And now we're just dealing day to day with the effects that his cerebellum with the damage of those two relapses. Um, He just has to learn um, little bit by little bit of how to how to manage the world that's that's in front of him. So Sam, essentially, day to day, um, if you know, he walks around um, the house without a walker now, he used to have a walker up until about two years ago. It's amazing. Um, it looks like he's about to fall over all the time, but he doesn't. Um, he does the very best with what he can. Um, when he eats soup, he has to put his face right down, and so we don't bother about you know you know being you know polite and on and so forth. You just you know you do it. You know he's extraordinarily organized. He's had to work really hard all of his life to achieve the things that other people take other kids take for granted, and right. so he wakes up earlier than anybody else in the house to achieve his tasks uh, by you know feeding himself breakfast and getting dressed and showering and he just does all these things on his own and you know the beautiful thing is is that he just never complains about it um he at times he'll he'll say oh yeah i don't want to do that because i'd be terrible at that because of my ataxia."
1: yeah um but a lot of people say that you know i don't like swimming or i'm afraid of this or i don't want to be seen in a bathing like people have an you know a reason for not doing a lot of things absolutely regardless yeah absolutely
0: and so he's he's had to try he's had to work all his Mm -hmm. life um and you know when it comes to sciences and mathematics he's got the best grades in his class um because he works hard at it and i so i'm not worried about him in life um you know, if he ever wanted to become a professional soccer player, hmm, I might worry about him, but he's got enough awareness to know that yeah. that's just not his skill set. His skill set is, is how kind he is, how smart he is, how giving yeah. and, and, you know, he's, he's just a very good boy. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the beautiful thing as well too, about children, I find is that, you know, he's never once been bullied at school. Yeah. Um, it's, beautiful he um you know kids these days are so inclusive Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of adults are mostly oh well geez what are we to expect these days when you know do to do oh come on you know children are just wonderful and at a very young age you know sam would struggle to get up from his chair to go do things in grade one and grade two and grade three and there would always be children going and holding his hand and helping him and so you know, uh, yeah, yeah they, you know, kids wouldn't pick on him because, you know, well, why? Um, so I keep hearing about all these bullies out there, and I, I just don't see it um, in our lives. And I, I see that everybody's kind of rooting for him, and they're like, yeah, Sam's a really fun guy. Um, yeah, he's good at math. Maybe he can help me out with my math, <laughs> or, or whatever mm-hmm. that is. And so, you know, I'm not worried about Sam in life. Um, he's got a really good head on his shoulders. Um, But, you know, I I do, I do, I still do think that there is a lot of support that is still needed for, Mm -hmm. for kids like him and and other ones that are, that are a lot worse off.
1: And You know, so having gone through this experience, and I agree with you, like we, you know, this world is evolving, and it's not going to happen overnight, and all the things that we know we need, I mean, everything ends up being bureaucratic, and so we know that takes a long time, you know, to get from A to B, let alone A to Z, right, which Mm -hmm. for some of these rare diseases, you know, as we were chatting about, you know, that when somebody has a rare disease, sometimes parents feel like, how come nobody's doing anything about this? But when your child or you are one of a hundred people or one of 10 people in the world Mm -hmm. or on the nation, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, you need to have resources to support this. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, if there's not going to be a payback, you know, in the form of treatments and drugs and all of that, because I mean, the more people have the disease, the more payback there's going to be in the long run to be able to fund these rare diseases. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of like ALS. I mean, ALS would never have the funds to study ALS if it hadn't been for the, you know, the ice challenge that Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And so, and so with your son, and with Sam's, you know, rare condition, did you, was that, at what point then did you decide that you wanted to run across Canada?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but it's, I, I've never been one to shy away from doing something big. Um, nice. I don't really have a lot of fear in my life. Um, it's in fact, you, you take those personality tests and in my Fear base um, and my risk taking—it's not—it's—it's it's, my my risk taking is is through the roof and my fear is is like two out of a hundred. It's it's right. pretty odd, and that's exactly why I I, I sign up for these ultra marathons and then they, I lean so heavily forward because you know the idea that if you're going to run across the country is seven thousand two hundred kilometers, hundred kilometers in you're exhausted, you know, and if you really thought about I oh, only I've got seven thousand one hundred left to go. You're crippled. You you can't you can't go there. You just take one step at a time, right? So um at the very beginning, at the very onset of Outrun Rare, you know, I was doing that work with Mito Canada and um uh, because really we didn't know how to support my son, um, because we didn't really have a diagnosis. All I knew it was mm-hmm. it was rare. there was something there. And it might take us five years, might take us 10 years, might take us 25 years, or we might never know. Yeah. But yet, I just didn't know how to support them. But I knew I wanted to support my friend and his and his family with mm-hmm. MitoCanada. And I knew for sure that Sam did not have mitochondrial disease. And so what, one thing that I found that was really interesting when doing that work was the siloization of, of support. And, you know, whenever you and I are you know, affected by something, we fight for that thing, right? So that's why I think, you know, take breast cancer. You know, women are so supportive of one another and it's wonderful. Yeah. And breast cancer is so bloody common. And cancer is really, you know, unto themselves. Yeah, one in
1: two people.
0: It's amazing. And so, you know, if you're affected by cancer in your life, there's a likelihood you're going to give to cancer. Yeah. And so I got doing a lot of thinking because I was thinking, wait one second, if, if one out of every twelve Canadians has a rare disease, you know, where where's the support? Where's the funding? Why 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 can't we get this off the ground? And then I realized that there were over sixty rare, you know. Uh, rare disease organizations that were solely working on specific rare diseases. So they were focusing on Rett syndrome and Fabry's and go down the list. And yet, you know, the question always came up if, you know, if it's rare, why should I care if it only affects, you know, let's say 300 Canadians. Okay. Well, why, why should I care? But if you take the over 7,000 known rare diseases, um, together, it makes up one in twelve of one one in twelve Canadians.
1: Yeah, that's and a lot.
0: That's a lot. Yes. that's a lot, lot, lot. Yeah, and the simple fact that we have never, as Canadians, I myself before having a job with rare disease, I've never had a discussion with anybody about the needs for more rare disease support mm-hmm. or access. Or and you think about mental health with Bell, Let's talk. Uh, you think about the Terry Fox Foundation with cancer. Um, you and you, we, we, could, we could list off 50, but there's nothing about rare disease. Yeah. And so I was getting frustrated and having these conversations with the rare disease community and saying and rare disease organizations and saying, guys, we really do need a national campaign. Like we need something in order to start a conversation about these needs because all these other countries all over the world are, are, have these rare disease strategies that are working like they are working well and it's all it is is it's our government addressing the issue and saying yes this is an issue and here's a center of excellence here is uh funding for and and support supporting pharmaceuticals with getting orphan drug um, plans in, in place um but there's nothing here and Sorry, for, you know, now now this conversation is starting to, to whirlwind a little bit because I'm, no, I'm it's, not thinking that.
1: But this is good, though, because it's people need to understand that, it Makes yeah. well, that basically when you have an idea, you know, yeah. like, for example, how come there is no national strategy for rare diseases or why right. aren't all these organizations not banding together? I think for a good majority of people, they'll be like, well, somebody must have thought about it and tried it.
0: And no one has. Right? Yeah.
1: And so, but the thing is, is that when you recognize that there's a gap anywhere in right. your community, in your life, in your relationship, in your work,
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: so important that people have to step up and change it. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. No. And I'm, certain, so many individuals from all of those rare disease organizations probably had that thought too. And right. so, you know, maybe it's because you, you know, like you said, your personality test, you know, mm. you score very, very low on the fear and very high on the risk-taking. So that's what enabled you. Mm-hmm. It's like it was the right person, the right situation to be able to go and say, well, I'm just yeah. going to do something about it.
0: Well, yeah. And I'm a disturber. I'm, I'm not for yeah. everyone, but yeah. I, I'm not okay with the status quo and I'm, yeah. I'm not afraid to not just say something about it, but do something about it. Yeah. And so I got thinking that, you know, I could go out and start a, a, an organization called the Relapsing Encephalopathy with Cerebellar Taxi Foundation, and that my son's life would be better. It would mm-hmm. be. I, I guarantee you that. But what about everybody else that, that doesn't have an advocate? Um, mm-hmm. And that's not okay. And, you know, like I said, there's over 7,000 known rare diseases and, You know, there are so many, there are countless families that I've reached out to, and they've reached out to me, um, that desperately need a spotlight within their community and and a microphone and saying, I need support, I need help, I don't know what to do, um, that are in a lot worse of a position than I am. And so I also got thinking right around that same time, about and I know this is a an odd segue, but 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 hang, hang with good. me. This is good.
1: It all belongs here. This is good. Is
0: that Humboldt disaster? Remember when the the, the, the there was a, a bus with a you know a number of, of hockey uh, child, uh, hockey playing children who ended up um, getting into a, a crash and they, a lot of them died. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them passed away, I think. Yeah, I think. And, all but um, one or two. And there were so many rules, regulations, bylaws and laws that needed to be accomplished when it came to the transport industry for years before that. But now every Canadian was talking about this and they were talking about, oh my goodness, I can't believe that the transport laws and regulations didn't do this and this and this. Every single policymaker out there was clamoring, was in line. The first day that that, uh, the House of Commons opened, they were passing every bill necessary and i got thinking this is ridiculous why does it take fireworks in order to get things done because it's all politics yeah and then i got thinking about terry fox and you know i i i'm i'm the strongest ultramarathoner um in canada and i, I could do this and when I, when I tell people about running 105 kilometers every day for 67 days in a row, they don't, they don't get it, right? Because they're like, I don't, I don't get it. That, you know, how, how is that possible? Well, you know, it's my skill set. I'm not very good at most things, but I can do that, right? And so, you know, and I would run to the ends of the earth for my son. I really would. And maybe um, maybe this might just be crazy enough. To be able to 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 bend the needle on on rare disease in Canada, Um, the science behind the standing ovation, you know, could you know, I I was so frustrated in 2018. Sorry, now I'm getting ahead of myself with the story. But yeah, let's let's not do that. But they basically, um, it takes fireworks and it takes a collaborative effort um yeah. when it comes to all rare disease organizations coming together we're fighting for the one in 12 because rare really is everywhere yeah. and really i think if canadians only knew of the void within their system they would do something about it but they don't um and it's and i think i can do something about that through my storytelling opportunities as a runner
1: i love that um You used your skill set, first of all, because, you know, you're a strong runner, a strong athlete, and you're like, there's, you know, this is something I can do well, and, you know, maybe fighting policies, fighting government, you know, collaborating with all these organizations, you know, obviously something you hadn't done before, but what you led with was your skill set and that opens up the doors to be able to accomplish all these other areas in your life that you might not have skill sets, but at least you, you know, you're going to figure it out and you're just going to do it. But, and you know, I often say that, you know, with all of our employees as well, I'm like, like let's do the work that you're good at, that you love doing. Let's start from there Mm -hmm. because when you are doing that, you're getting energy from it. You are, you're good at it and you like waking up every morning and doing that thing. And so, um, you know, I love that you led with that for sure. I think that that's um, it's a perfect melding, right? Of
0: fighting for yeah, your son,
1: using your skill set, and you. And when you first came up with this, um, and you decided to do this, what you know, were people thinking like this is absolutely crazy? Why would you do this? There's so many other ways. Like, what was the feedback from you know people that you started telling this to? And especially around the rare disorder part, because people obviously don't know this information that one in 12 Canadians have a rare disease.
0: Right, but- right. And, and keep in mind as well, too, I just came off of the treadmill, you know, event. So, you know, 24 True. hours running under. So crazy, they, they came to expect it, right? right? It was like, oh, well, there goes Dave with another idea. Um, but this was bigger and yeah. broader and more encompassing and risky as well, too, like, there's, you know, running along the highway is, you know, uh, for, for all summer long is, is risky, and there's so many ways it could go wrong, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, ultimately, when I first brought it up, um, I'm I'm so lucky as well too because there's that saying, "You're the average of the five people you hang around with most."
1: Yeah, I love that um,
0: And I, I i've got I've got a good twenty five people that I like to pull and tug and 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 we we're, we're we're all very symbiotic with one another and they're they're real winners and i i, I mean to i guess what i'm saying ultra marathoners are very interesting people and they they grab onto a bone and they don't they don't they don't quit um, they're tough stubborn people um but they're also incredible with their skill sets and and what i found was You know number one you know everybody loves a team player yeah and so but as well too you know everybody's looking for leadership and everybody wants to to be behind something great yes um but it might just be somebody else's idea but they want you to knock on their door and say i need your help um and if you went if you go to anybody and say i need your help and support can you help me because i think you can it's amazing. Uh, people line up. And so I had, and I know this sounds ridiculous. Um, I had 30 to 35 volunteers all doing, you know, logistics and marketing and, 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 and nobody was on payroll <laughs> and it was beautiful. Amazing. Um, but these were all, and en- I would say maybe 3% of them, were affected by rare disease in their lives. So these were the running community that were just like, wow, I need to get behind this and I need to support this. And I love running. And let's face it, it's kind of a cool, cool event. Yeah. Um, the you know, the trans Canadian speed record, but you know, these were really people, these were friends that were saying, Dave, yeah, I'll, I'll give up a number of hours every week to, to help you in the way that I can help you in this. And so in the end, we were almost turning away volunteers. It was really quite, quite nice, the, um, the, the, the level of support that I, that I got.
1: And, you know, I love that you also were running for a cause because since I started training for my trip across Canada, it's been interesting. I just listened to every audiobook on running that there is like literally people are telling me about, and if I can get in an audio format it's it's in my ears Mm -hmm. and but the one thing that did stick out to me i'm like all of these people who've written these books and they are amazing people and they do talk about how incredible the community is even though it's an individualized sport Mm -hmm. it's actually a family it's a team of you know individualized runners doing their ultra training and but the one thing i was like man if they would only just run for a cause like Mm -hmm. a lot of them are literally just running to beat a record or to you know they just are a lot of them will say they're addicted in a positive way passionately motivated you know to run um but they're not and i'm like they they're doing something so remarkable that very very few people in the world do and if they just attach themselves to a cause
0: mm-hmm. with this
1: world would have literally cures for everything
0: right absolutely right? because you know you, you think about it, and those those running uh, um um uh, you know, podcasts or, or 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 the books that you're reading uh, or listening to you know they there's just such compelling stories and yeah. you know the, the the human endurance feats and you know what the human body is capable of doing um you know and but but we're also passionate about something yeah. and in but i think that a, a lot of the time i think that people kind of sit back and go mm, somebody else will do it Or that other great group is doing really good work or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I find that, um, you know, if people would just, you know, state their purpose and, and act with, um, act with their hearts first, you'd be alarmed by how many people in your life will line up to support you in that way.
1: Um,
0: and, and we all have something that we feel passionate about whether yeah. it's mental illness, whether it is cancer research, whether it's uh, anything. And so, yeah, I, I, I would, you know, I think the world is turning into, you know, year by year, it's turning into more of a loving, caring, compassionate place. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at times I, I wonder if it could get there a bit quicker.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and not to say anything about any of these runners, because they are, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. serving their purpose, even just by, mm-hmm. you know, being out there and setting an example for what the human body is right. capable of doing, which then tells me that, okay, well, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to know until I try. And so I'll let you know right. next year at this time. But, um, but, you know, so they are serving their purpose, even if it's that they're not fighting for a cause. But I just mm-hmm. think that For sure, if you're going to expend that time and energy and that incredible mindset that you need to be Mm -hmm. able to do endurance athlete or athletic, you know, endeavors, then that Mm -hmm. mindset, if you can apply it to a cause as well, Mm -hmm. like you could achieve literally anything.
0: Really, because the world is looking upon upon endurance athletes for a lot of wisdom and strength, especially at a time of COVID um, Mm -hmm. and quarantine. You know, I've seen so many people struggling um, mm-hmm. throughout all this, and and they just wonder how do you endure, like week after week, month after month. What's going to look like year after year? Yeah. Um, how do we endure? And yet, you know, ultra marathoners, um, endurance athletes. Yeah, we might not be the best of everything, but that we 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 can figure that out for whatever That's reason. Nice. And so when it comes to uh, you know, I, I think that we all have wisdom that we go share and support with one another as long as everybody's willing to listen. Yeah. And I think that at a time like this during quarantine, ultramarathoners and endurance athletes have a, have a gift that we can bestow upon the world. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, you know, when you're in the middle of Manitoba and you're doing your trek across Canada, there's a lot of thoughts in your head and there's a lot of opportunity to quit or to slow down or to sit in the ditch for an extra 10 minutes, the voices in your head get pretty loud Mm -hmm. and how do you manage that? It's, 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 you're absolutely right. So yeah. So, so taking those gifts, um, and, 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 the and the, and the learned skills and to translate that to, to giving, because let's face it. Um, I like to think at times that I've got it pretty rough. Like when I'm running a 200 mile race and I'm 150 miles in and yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. Oh, I, I won't lie to you. It's not a comfortable thing, but then you are reminded um, sometimes by others. And I would love to tell you a story about that, that we really don't have it all that hard and perspective is everything. And when you can do anything in the world, just, just be a giver.
1: Yeah. And being of service too is just one of the things that I've known my whole life to be one of the best things to completely lift you up and elevate you and to, you know, it's a completely selfish act, I think, you know, to be a giver and to be of service and, you know, because you do get so much back from it. But I know that I work with a lot of people who have mental health conditions and the minute they start being another person and helping them all of a sudden, their mind shifts and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. their perspective shifts and all of a sudden, you know, they're helping somebody else and together they're both being helped in that process. So, you know, if somebody is, you know, feeling like they're struggling and you know, they have their head between their knees and I don't know what to do. I mean, the first thing I say is like, you know, go out and help somebody else, just go help somebody else first. And I guarantee you're going to have one foot in front of the other, helping yourself at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Help, uh, offer help and, and 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 give support without wanting to receive anything exactly. in return and it's a it's a beautiful feeling
1: exactly mm-hmm. so here you are so you're you know you just get off this 24-hour treadmill you know i don't even know ultra treadmill race competition yeah the
0: world yeah. world record challenge I guess yeah
1: yeah the world record challenge and then you announce that you want to run for um rare diseases mm-hmm. altogether in general mm-hmm. and so what was the first step did you start reaching out to these oh. other organizations or
0: absolutely so um at that time um and I, I knew I wanted to be a third-party fundraiser um mm-hmm. because again I'm not for everyone and yeah. I am a bit of a maverick, and so I kind of want to be the one calling the shots. Yeah. And third-party fundraisers are a wonderful thing. I mean, um, you know, a lot of charities are relying upon individuals going and running a marathon and raising two thousand dollars for that charity, or doing a bake sale or a car wash. And I got thinking that what's more important—the uh, financial piece or the awareness piece? Mm-hmm. And um, I had this, and I'm going to circle back to this in a bit, but I had this idea at the very beginning, and I'm really frustrated in 2018 that I abandoned it, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to mm-hmm. that, that idea. That it was, you know, I was talked out of it, and I've learned as well, too, don't be talked out of your passion. Don't be mm-hmm. talked out of your North Star, right? And so I contacted the Rare Disease Foundation, and I said, um, my name's Dave Proctor, I um, have you know, founded this brand new organization called Outrun Rare, and I would like to raise you a million dollars. Um, but more so, I want to get rare disease on the map. And they were very happy to take my phone call, and that's where we started with the Rare Disease Foundation. And we uh, worked, um, and they, they were overseeing things just because when it came to messaging and when it came to proper protocol. Like, I, I get it. That's their, you know, they, that's what they need to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so throughout the whole process, yeah, we, we, boy, it was a lot of work and it was all branding and it was all development of logos and putting together a communication strategy and how do we do this? And then how do we angle it? And then even the permitting work across the country and, and mapping and, Boy, there was a lot of thing, there was a lot of moving parts getting all the sponsors on board, especially when we're not, not a, a proven entity. We're brand new. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: when we make these phone calls, it was we almost we got nine, nine, out of every 20 uh, phone calls we made for sponsorship, we got 19 no's. And we got some laughter as well too. Sure. Um, because it, it does seem unreal. Um, yeah. like you know what, do you, what are you trying to do here? But the companies that end up seeing it, they saw it um, and they jumped in. And so we were able to completely fund by by sponsors the entire project. So any money that was going to be raised was going to go directly to the Rare Disease Foundation. And, um, you know, all of the expenses were, were that of, of on, on the, the sponsors. So we were very, very happy that we were able to do that. So if you were to donate $20, it goes directly to the charity. Um, very, very happy about that. That's and so so yeah so so ultimately we we, we just we, we kind of made it up as we went along we said well how how hard could this really be um and you know it turned out to be hard but they say yeah. when you're struggling you're growing right um
1: and also i love what you just said about that because I think so many people want to know every step of the way, have their plan and know that it's going to go like this, this, this. And then if they can't mm-hmm. see that, then they don't do it. Whereas naivete, like I would say on my personality test, my score, you know, 10 out of 10 or a hundred, of hundred on, on being naive in a lot of cases, but it really does actually allow you to move forward and just go, you know what? I, I will figure it out because you can never plan for something like this. Like I know, mm-hmm um what's his name oh my gosh um the iron cowboy oh yeah yeah right like getting to one place where they were like you can't be running on the road here like get out of here you know and Mm -hmm. every racer I'm sure and endurance athlete has been in a position like that where you don't have a permit to be on that road or you don't have whatever it is and so but you just have to be able to be flexible I imagine and also know you have a plan but Probably the plan's going to have to change every once in a while. Well,
0: and that's why I think as well, too, that, that endurance athletes with, with their, I, I, I almost I almost call it like a meh personality
1: like because, that. you know,
0: most people end up overthinking things, Yeah. right? But if you're, you know, running, um, oh, so just a story, I was, I was talking with my friend Pete, who has a trans-American speed record, and he was running unassisted from the northern tip of Alaska down the southern tip of Florida, pushing a baby stroller. And he was telling me that he, there was, he ended up having to ship, um, products like, like, like his, 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 um, his wheels, his, his inner tubes would keep bursting. And he was so frustrated. So he shipped to the next city, um, some more tubes and the one side blew and he could hear the other side go do, 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 do and it went like that for quite a while. And then pfft. And then he said, well, you know, it's a good thing that I've got new tubes coming up, right? I, I Otherwise, I would be, I'm pushing a, a, a dead stroller. which it's, it's really hard to push. And, and so he's like, you know what? My life was good, though, because I knew I had new tubes coming up. And he left it there in the conversation. And I was like, kind of like, okay, Pete, how long did you run on the stroller with, with no, when I wasn't inflated? And he was like, oh, it wasn't far, you know. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're not gonna get away with that. And he was like, oh, 150 miles.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So the average person would just lose it, right? They would they would they would cry in the ditch and they but Pete was like, Meh, you know what? I've dealt with worse. I'll be fine. Exactly. But he he didn't he didn't even think it was a big enough deal to then tell me about it in the conversation. And and that's it. That's the meh.
1: He's like, like the king of may <laughs> yeah you're
0: just like i'll get through this it'll be fine so everything else that everybody else is stressing about right he's just living in the moment looking around at the beautiful scenery and it's a it's beautiful it's beautiful and so so a guy like him you let him loose on on a chair you know on, on 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 charitable giving he yeah. will he will go nuts with it and so, yeah, you, I think you're absolutely right. More endurance athletes do need to be running and, and, and performing yeah. for a cause.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because nothing's going to stop them, right? Like yeah. hail won't stop them. You talked about running through a tornado, right. you know, yeah. which didn't stop. Did that stop you? No. At that point? Um, it,
0: well, it's, it's a funny story. So in 2018, I with the, the campaign, um, I started running in Victoria. And by the time I hit Medicine Hat... Alberta uh, I was running about 105 kilometers every day and I remember waking up that morning and, and there was a vicious headwind I was running from from west to east normally it typically the the, the the headwind is east to west and right. through the prairies and so it was vicious and I was running along and I was um, running I think it was sustained 40 50 kilometer an hour gusts. And it picked up and picked up and by the time I got in through medicine hat it was worse um, but as it ran through medicine hat it turned to the side and I was uh, running and I was angled you know and like leaning into the into the into the tail into the sidewood and um, I looked to the north and I saw a funnel cloud forming and you know I, I called my crew uh, in an RV and, and I said hey Wayne do you look to the north do you see that too and he says "Uh uh-huh he said dave look right behind you i'm on you so if this comes in i'm gonna pull in front of you you dive in and i'll get you to safety so um we kept our eye to the north to that, that 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 storm that was coming in but we didn't see what was coming in from the south and we just got hit by just as bad of a storm
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And the hail was unreal. And I run with a cowboy hat on as well, too, which really protects you from from hail. And so, um, boy, I got destroyed. And Wayne pulls in front of me. And at that day as well, too, the the side view mirror blew off. Like, it literally blew off. That's how bad the wind was. And I was in the trailer, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm 85 kilometers into my day. There's no way. Like, I've worked so hard today. There's no way I'm going to get my 105 in. And then the wind stops about 20 minutes later and Wayne goes outside and all of a sudden I hear outside, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but he he said something like, holy moly, Dave, you get your butt out here. Your side wind turned into an 80 kilometer an hour hour tailwind. And so I didn't run 105, I ran 115 kilometers because you just needed to pick up your knees and it just like threw you down the road. It was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, you know, there it is. Is you know, you think, you know, it couldn't get any worse. Couldn't get worse and then it actually gets way it's way better. better, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the same theme that's come out of most of the books that I've you know, read from all of these athletes—the ones that have broken their toes just before the race starts, the one that are, you know, like just the, some of the stories are so incredible. It's mm-hmm. amazing what the human body can recover from, and also just mm-hmm. work through in a very depleted, injured state as well. Um, and and the human body is resilient. It's incredible what it, mm-hmm. you know, can tolerate. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the mindset is also like very. Far the most important thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's it's you know so yeah the the mind is 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 such a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, and you know, like I really do believe that the mind only knows two things, right? The pictures you draw for it, and the words that you tell it, hmm. and and it doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't know if you're trying to kid it or you're trying to yeah. work around or it's insecurity, um, and that's that, and so. I think we have to be very careful with the pictures we tell ourselves or pictures we draw for ourselves and in our minds and and the words that we tell ourselves. Um, One reason why I never, ever, ever talked about running is being painful um, or suffering in agony because you, you know, if if I talked about public speaking as being, Oh, the worst thing ever, do you really think that's setting the stage for you to go out and, and, and get better at public speaking? Um, And the nerves and on and so forth. And so I want to get better at running. And it really is the best part of my day. I love going out for a jog every day. And um, so, you know, it's so beautiful. You know, the idea that um, you can go for a run. And when you think you're done, you've got so much left in the tank. And as long as you can convince yourself that you're fine, you're fine. And you could go mm. for days and days and days and days. I, I've i fallen in love with these things called backyard races. So you know, you know, backyard style events, and and it was you know created by this guy. His name's Lazarus Lake down in Tennessee. You might have, have seen the Barkley Marathons. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's Lazarus Lake. That's the Shane Smokin' Hillbilly, the Diabolical <laughs> Hillbilly from Tennessee. And so he his, his more popular race, more than than the Barkley Marathons now, is called Backyard. And I was down in his backyard last year at the world championships of backyard racing. And what it is, it's a 6.7 or 4.18 mile looped course around his backyard trail. And you run it every hour on the hour until you can't. And there's one winner and everybody else loses. And that's that. Wow. And it's so beautiful because you, you go somewhere and you're like, you, it, but as long as you, as long as you have a reasonable response to that bell that says, "Okay, time to go again," yeah, then you're fine. The moment that you say, "I can't do this anymore," you mm-hmm. might as well just stop.
1: And it's funny that you bring that up because yesterday I, you know, thought my daughter was playing with a friend, and I had to get one of my uh, runs in for the day. And I was like, how am I going to do this? I can't leave them at home. They're nine years old. Um, you know, but I need to go for the run. My husband was at work. And so I said, come on, kids, let's go. You're hopping on your bikes. You can ride your bike. Well, I run in, it was a nice, easy Z2, you know, 50 minute, that's it. Like nice short run. And, um, which is so funny that I say that because literally eight weeks ago, that would have been such a long run for me, but mm-hmm. it's amazing how you can advance and progress so quickly. Too. Yeah, It mm-hmm. is amazing. But then of course, 15 minutes into the run, the girls looked at the river and they saw a big patch of beautiful sand and they were like, we don't want to bike. It's too hot and there's bugs in the mm-hmm. woods and they want to go play on the sand. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So mm-hmm. I, I, so they went and played by the river in the sand and i ran the same 100 meter stretch beside them so i can still see them still the river's pretty shallow so i can jump in if i need to grab them um super slow moving in case somebody thinks i'm really irresponsible for letting two nine <laughs> play, i was right there but but that's how i ended up having to run my 35 extra minutes and i mean that's nothing compared to the backyard you know mm-hmm. uh, or the Barkley marathon or this backyard racing but it but it was interesting because I was like, oh, my gosh, at first I was disappointed for a split second. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to work on technique. I'm going to work on, you know, mm-hmm. getting into a meditative state. And and it's so funny because when you learn Strava, it's like this big red ball where I'm just going back and forth, back and forth, <laughs> back and forth.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: And people in the woods thought I was crazy. I'm sure everybody that passed me, they're like, what's that lady doing? Is she afraid of the bears in the woods? Or, you know, she's going to stay in one spot. But it is amazing what your mind can do when you just change your perception and and tell yourself a different story.
0: Well, that's it, right? And and sometimes those repetitive little things like, you know, people are amazed, you know, when they have to go to the mountains and go and see beautiful, you know, scenery when it comes to... You know, sometimes just going to your local track and running around in circles, there's something so meditative about routine and doing the same thing over and over, and you lose your mind. Yeah. Like you 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 drift into this beautiful flow state. And it's so easy to manage. It's such a beautiful state. And I think it's it's something that's really missing from 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 humans and in our experience. It's just that, you know, it's okay to just drift away and to not you know, it, you know, can you really observe the moon without calling it a moon? Yeah. You know, and it's such a, it's it's to just exist in the space for what it is with no judgment. It's Exactly. Uh, it's 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 mindlessness, but it's mindfulness all at the same time. It's it's really quite a beautiful thing, and it's it's a gift to 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 mm-hmm. be able to to do that uh, across the country. So I'm I'm jealous for you. I'm looking 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 uh, looking forward <laughs> to hearing that story.
1: Yeah. Well, it's I I love that you brought that up as well because I think when you do things repetitively as well that you can still you can it could be the same thing that every day when you view it mm-hmm. or every time you go around it you can see something different as well mm-hmm. a lot of it, you know people say like we've been there done that we're in a state in the world where it's new apps every 2 minutes new mm-hmm. you know technology new iphone new this right. new that new style new fashion and but you know what, sometimes when you actually mm-hmm. stay with the old and just repeat it over and over and over again, right. you get a different appreciation for it as well. And there's beauty in it in a hundred thousand different ways.
0: And, you know, there's, there was a race that I did last year um, and it was called Six Days in the Dome. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's down in Milwaukee. And it was an indoor track, like speed skating track that was 443 meters in length. I think it's 443 meters and yeah you ran for six days straight um, so there's no so the gun goes off and then 144 hours later the gun goes off again and you stop now how far have, how far can you travel within six days now you can you know you can stop as often as you want you can take a nap you can go get a massage you could you could do whatever you want but if you're not running, you're not, you're not building mileage. Yeah. And so um, it's such a beautiful thing because I know a lot of people would say, Ooh, okay. That's, that's hell. Um, no, no, you, you go somewhere pretty cool
1: mm-hmm. in, in
0: those, in those days and you give yourself an opportunity to just drift um, wow. and be okay in the moment. I, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly grabbing my phone and, Checking Instagram and, and, and emails and, and on and so forth. You, you you stay busy because this is what we were supposed to do. Um, and it's almost like I'm afraid of the thoughts and feelings that are in my own head at times. Um, but I give myself permission when I'm running to just to just drift. And and it's 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 a very rewarding space. And and after a while you, you everybody seems to think like, oh my goodness, didn't wasn't that tough like, yeah. you know, every day, uh, most, most of my, most of my days I run about 50 kilometers. And so that today wow. I run for about 50 kilometers and I think it was like 51, I think. Um, but it, it's, it, was it hard? I, I had a four hour meditation session. Wow. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Like I, I yeah. love the fact that, um, that I, that I, that I can do that. Um, and then I'm, I'm privileged enough that I, that I, that I have the opportunity to do that as well too. And so again, you know, be careful what you tell yourself and, 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 and the pictures we draw for ourselves, because, you know, you could go into social media and everybody's talking about, you know, pain and suffering and agony with their runs and their bike rides and their this and that. Yeah, it's, 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 I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it because that—that's the believable story. That's how we frame. That's how we framed running all this time. Yeah. Is running is—is is hard, but running is also a gift, and it gives brings us back to something like discomfort, and challenge yeah. is something that's so human amongst all of us. Um, and sometimes by by removing all of that, um, we're removing part of our human, you know, self. And I think okay. that. You know, hiking a mountain and being three quarters of the way up thinking, I don't know if I can do this, but pushing through and observing from the top of the mountain, there's just something beautiful and human about that
1: and it's really accessible to everybody as well so that meditative state um, flow state is accessible to everybody i mean you don't i mean if running only really started in the 60s in north america right right? Mm -hmm. and when people ran then they ran a pair of kids like they didn't have fancy running shoes and truly you know if we allow ourselves to run barefoot or walk barefoot in the sand for a little while we can get back to that as well. So even Mm if somebody's saying, well, I don't have $200 for a pair of running shoes, you don't need $200 Mm -hmm. for a pair of running shoes and you don't need to go fast and hard as well. Right. Mm -hmm. To the point where you just feel exhausted and your muscles are so sore the next day, like you can literally just go at a tiny little, you know, jog, Mm-hmm. And you can go for 20 minutes, you can go for 10 minutes or whatever it is. You can do intervals, you know, there's no one style of running. And so right. it's truly accessible to everybody. Yeah. Cause it's the effort, least amount of money.
0: It? Yeah. yeah. Like it, all it is, is effort. Yeah, And, and, and it's not, and I get it. We, we, we have a measuring stick and we size one another up and the runners are the worst for doing that because you know, we get onto social media and, oh, I didn't run as far as that guy. I didn't run as fast as her. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but it's really about effort, you know, and it's yeah. about, um, just going out and, and doing your best, um, with, with what you have. And so, yeah, running is a very primitive thing that we all that it's been around for, for since the beginning of time. Um, our bodies need to move, uh, our feet need to create structure around, um, itself in order to support our body weight yeah um yeah it's it it is quite a beautiful thing i I know that when i go for a run i'm I'm a lot kinder i'm a lot more gentle Mm -hmm. with my kids i'm a lot i'm a lot better of a human being because it puts my mental state into a a space of relative bliss i guess you could call it so i don't know there's a lot of benefit but of course yeah I, I think I'm preaching to the choir. I think that you've, uh, you 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 found that as well, too.
1: But I think for our audience that's listening, you know, um, I think a lot of people we do, I did it for the last 16 years, like I had this little voice that kept saying, God, I want to go for a run. But I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I can't my body, my knees, my back, my, I've carried three children, my right. belly separated, I'm mm-hmm. way too much, I don't have enough time, I don't have the right shoes, if I just get mm-hmm. the right pair of running pants then I'll do it but then I wouldn't so we tell ourselves all of these things but you know for all of our listeners out there I mean if I could go 16 years with maybe running five times and then literally eight weeks ago I started running Mm -hmm. um but I had set this goal to run across Canada, which I know probably sounds ridiculous to run and cycle across Canada. But, you know, I've just taken it literally one small step at a time and I've hired a great coach now who's, you know, but I mean, even a lot of what he's telling me you can find for free on the internet. So you don't need to find like hire somebody to teach you how to run. I'm just doing that to make sure I get across Canada and I achieve my goal because we do have sponsors and we have everybody. So Mm. I have to do it. But the thing that, You know, everything that you're saying about running, it is so accessible no matter what age you are. Mm -hmm. And when you get into that state where you actually listen to your everything, the negative, the positive, that everything, you know, I think that that's when you all of a sudden can tap into what it is and who you are supposed to be that potential, you know, and in your case, you're running for your son, you know, to raise awareness, not just for your son, but everybody's son, everybody's daughter, you know, who has a rare disease, you know, for the present and the future. And I don't know, I just think it would be very interesting if, you know, we brought running back into the curriculum at schools because it's been knocked out. Right. Well, and I, and I
0: think about, you know, every curriculum in, in Canada, um, sorry, not curriculum, I guess, but the Terry Fox run, Mm-hmm. you know, and what I love about that is it's not about running. I mean, did you see the, the prosthetic on his leg? It was yeah. a baseball bat. Um, yeah. it was incredible, but it was hope. Exactly. And it was, it was will. And it was, It was so much more. It was so, so much, so many wonderful things about the human species, the human condition. That's everything that's great. Um, And you know, all, all all he really did was, and because nobody, like, do you know how? Do you know how far he ran every day?
1: So, uh, didn't he do a marathon every day?
0: Yeah, it was a marathon. But most people don't know that, and most people they don't care because it was effort. Exactly. They saw him out there putting in effort day after day day after day and it was beautiful his effort is beautiful and everyone's effort is beautiful if you struggle with going for a walk around your your block that's beautiful that is you know because ultimately what you're wanting what what you're choosing is to progress what you're doing is you're choosing to and it might be so you might say oh i'm not a real runner oh i'm not you know skinny like those people it doesn't matter. It's effort. Yeah. You're putting in the effort and you gotta, you, you gotta respect that. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, it's so, so yeah, I, 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 I think that there's so many different things about, you know, running for a cause, um, giving, um, supporting, um, but as well too, just putting your best foot forward and, 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 and what, what, what running represents, um, yeah, you know, these are really valuable lessons for children in schools. I, I, I would love to see more of that.
1: Exactly. And the other part about that, too, is that, you know, for Terry Fox, he didn't make his way across Canada. I mean, he had to stop in Ontario and, but look at the legacy he left, even though he didn't make it across Canada. So it Mm. wasn't a failure. And so instead of, you know, thinking if I start something, but, you know, not starting because you think you might fail and you might not achieve your end goal, why Mm. don't you just start and see what happens. And, right. you know, he left an international legacy, like not just a legacy in Canada, but an international legacy. And that's very similar to, you know, what you did as well, right? Like you were saying that you made it to Winnipeg.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in 2018, I, it's, it's a bit of a long story. I'll shorten it up as much as I, I can. It, it unfortunately didn't end the way we wanted it to. We wanted to end up in, in St. John's um, in under 72 hours yep. and really get that national attention when it came to, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's about to do that as I go through Ontario and Quebec yeah. and the Maritimes. Um, only days before starting the run across Canada in Victoria, I herniated my desk in my L5S1 and I was petrified because we had all these sponsors, we put out all these communications, that we were going to do this. And uh-huh. I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to run, get off of the island. You know, it was only 32 kilometers to get up to the Tawasson Ferry, or the, uh, the the ferry that goes up to Tawasson. Yes. And um, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to do it. But I started running and it felt better as I ran. I was, perfect. I was thinking, perfect, okay, great, because I'm going to be running for 12 to 14 hours a day for the next over two months. Yeah. If this is feeling better as I run, I'll just, you know. Now, what I didn't understand was that at the end of the day, when I stopped running, it seized up, and it was terrible. Um, it was, and all cameras were off, all, you know, there was no, and it was just me eating in pain and going oh. to sleep and not sleeping well because of the pain and wake up the next day thinking okay i'm not sleeping um and i'm in so much pain i just can't wait to run so i can be out of pain again mm-hmm. and you know that day and day day in and day out i went ahead and still did that um and it never really got better um but i i, I remember when i came into calgary on day 11 i thought okay you know what I, I can do this. Like I, I can deal with pain and I can deal with suffering. Um, you know, because I think it's worth it. Right. And I, I signed a contract with myself that, okay, I can do this. I've, if This is the worst thing that it gets. I can end up, you know, um, just getting major medical help when I get to the Maritimes or into yeah. St. John's. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out that way. And when I was running through Saskatchewan, um, I, you, things progressed. Um, and yeah, if you don't mind, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was running one day and I noticed, I was like, oh, my water bottle leaked. No, I wet myself. And, mm. um, that was the first of many. And, um, and then I, you know, I talked to my doctor and he said that he really does think that that compression on the L5s1 has now gone down to what's called equina, and it wraps around you and start losing in internal organ uh, function and, and he said, you know this could be very this could be surgical you need to stop now mm-hmm. um, I still ran for a couple of days because I thought I could somehow run through this um, I told my wife and she immediately said, "Okay you're done yeah and I just needed permission I was just okay yeah and that was a really hard day um it was very very painful to go the pain of stopping was a lot worse than the pain of my back
1: yeah of course
0: um the beautiful thing that happened thereafter was I made a video you know uh lying in the bed with my so with my children and, and my wife and I told the world that I was no longer going to be running um but if you could go to our website and If you go for a two-kilometer walk after dinner, if you go for a 10-kilometer run on the weekends, if you can donate your kilometers, because we still need to get from where we're Mm. on the east side of Winnipeg all the way to St. John's, and to we're not going to give up on this and we're going to do this together. So what was really quite cool over the next month um, was we didn't just get to St. John's, we ended up circumnavigating the entire planet with the amount of kilometers that we received and just the amount of support and the amount of people that were getting behind that, and what was most important about that was the message that was sent—not to me, um, but it was sent to me too. I—I—I—I I, I, I read it. Yeah. But the message that was sent to all the rare families out there.
1: Exactly.
0: That didn't have um, a stage or a spotlight or a microphone. And the message that Canadians were telling them was that where it does matter, yeah. you matter, your struggle matters, you're supported, and, um, and 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 that that brought me to tears because I thought you know finally they're getting the acknowledgement, and even if it doesn't follow with you know better healthcare, better support, better, at least it's something, mm-hmm. right? And maybe it's a start of something, something great. The day that I ended up stopping on the east side of Winnipeg, I, I knew that I would be back on, on Transcan Highway doing this again. And so I, I, I just knew it. Um, I didn't know. how's your,
1: how's your back now? It's great. Yeah.
0: So it okay. turns, so I ended up going and getting a number of MRIs. Mm-hmm. um on my back and then you could see it with the physio it turns out you have to listen to your physiotherapist <laughs> and so when you're doing when when they say do this and this and this and i i'm diligent if i'm not running for like yeah. four hours today i'm doing physio for four hours if i'm if right. i'm injured i'm i'm doing a lot to get better right and i recovered quite well it took me still six to nine months to, to recover to start running again yeah um but you know, with those MRIs, it, I was pretty confident that the problem has gone. And that That's I just amazing. really need to focus on core work and to make sure that things like that don't happen again.
1: So glad that you said that because I haven't done my core work in the last couple of days. Right. And I was like, oh, you know, I feel so strong and fine, but it is true. Right. And then that,
0: like that, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're done. Um, yeah. And you don't want to mess around with the back or the T-spine, like it's, no. yeah, you're, you're, you're in trouble when it, when, when your core doesn't stabilize what you need to stabilize.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, my stomach muscles separated after my second child, I was Mm. pregnant with my second child or while I was pregnant with her. And so that's another thing that I have to really work extra hard neurologically to think about always, you know, contracting and holding because the muscles just are, you know, like the fascia is so separated and everything. But, um, so I'm, yeah, that is, I mean, that, it is so important for everybody out there, even if you're not planning on running, focus on your core work, please right. It's really important. Your back and your core together work as one. And Absolutely. the other thing that I love that you said is, you know, how much like everybody's effort, if you contributed all of those miles and, and kilometers around the world and they really spoke up. Mm-hmm. You know, in yeah. speaking for those who can't speak for themselves, I mean, that's what we all need to be doing, right? And that's what you're doing with this, with this run, which you're going to do again. Like you're planning on leaving next year as well, if we all are. things go well, COVID-wise. And
0: yeah, so we're planning. We have a plan B. Um, mm-hmm. We have a plan A. We have a plan B. Um, you know, yeah, it broke my heart this year that we end up having to postpone the run across Canada but it was the right thing to do now. We we now, we now look back and go, Oh, wow. Yeah. We, we didn't stop soon enough really. Um, and you know, so it was the right thing to do. Um, and we're so very happy, but, you know, I look at rare families and I still think about their struggles and it's, it, it, they're still there all, you know, all the struggles are still there and that including mental health, it's even getting worse. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I know that that this is still needs to happen, but it needs to happen at a reasonable, safe time. Exactly. And I don't know if 2021 is that time, I'm going to start planning and organizing it. But I just don't know. You um, know, and, and it's so much of this is dependent upon um, how the curve goes, yeah. um, you know, uh, vaccinations, so you, who knows, there, there's a there's a lot that I don't understand. That and I know that people all over the world, the greatest minds are all working on this. Yeah. And so I would love to run across the country next year, but it might need to be pushed back to 2022. But we'll still do something um, yeah. in order to to drive awareness and attention and things. And and then, of course, the second piece is, is, is what's our ask from the Canadian public? Um, and, you know... I'm gonna go back to an earlier part of our conversation when I talked about the fact that I abandoned my North Star early in the process and I started listening to others and invested interests. And me and the team, the core team, we've come back and we've said, you know what? No, um, we need to stick to what we first thought was the grassroots movement behind all of this. And I truly believe that that there are a lot of organizations and charities that are all asking for for money.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: money does get you a long way.
1: It does, yeah.
0: But um, we're the only developed country in the world without a rare disease strategy or an orphan drug plan. And if Canadians only knew that, they would do something about it. And so at the very beginning, at the very onset, and I'm, I'm so frustrated with myself now because now it's speaking to me louder than it's ever spoken before that we need, I I need to construct the largest petition in Canadian history. Yeah. And if I can get a million signatures and I, I, I've made great contacts in Ottawa and I've told them, I said, if I get the largest petition in Canadian history, you can't not do something about this. You have to enact a rare disease strategy. You know, we, there's been a couple of organizations in Canada that have been, um lobbying politics for years and years and years and you know i've always thought in the back part of my brain and you know and part of me thought as well too i i I, i'm not an expert i'm not a lobbyist but yet i'm also fearless Mm -hmm. and i'm passionate so that that's gotta that's gonna count for something and i kept thinking that you know you don't lobby government you lobby people exactly And if we can end up getting, creating a conversation amongst Canadians about the needs for more rare disease support and access, and that this void exists, then government, just like in the Humboldt disaster, not, sorry, not just like the Humboldt disaster, because that was tragedy, what we're hoping is that Canadians will move upon triumph, and the human spirit, instead of, you know, unfortunately, tragedy, right? Yeah. So so that that's that's my north star is
1: that's amazing. We
0: need to create a movement where if I were to tell every Canadian, put your wallets away but please give me your support. Yeah. You know what's more important than your money than your money is your time. Yeah. If you can your
1: signature take
0: five minutes and then take ten minutes and and, and, and walk it around your office
1: yeah. and
0: tell hey guys do you guys hear about this guy who's doing this? Did you know that Canada is the only developed country in the world without a rare disease strategy? I, I think it's got legs and I think that people will support that. And especially at a time, at a time like this, when there's turmoil, yeah. I think we're all looking for something great that we can all get behind. And in the end, you know, pump our fist in the air and go, yeah, we did it. 100%. I signed that petition and it bent the needle when it came to supporting these vulnerable families. So that's that's my hope.
1: You know, and I love that it's because that again, just like running, everybody can do that, everybody can read Mm -hmm. a paragraph, sign a a petition. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing what that does. Another thing, too, that I was thinking that you can do having worked in all levels of government Um, and seeing what moves the needle. It's also finding that person Mm. internally Mm. who has a child with a rare disease, because that's Mm. often how the the needle gets moved. It's because there's someone internally who is extremely passionate, you know, for their own, you know, self-interest, and it's not a bad self-interest, you know, Mm -hmm. because, and, you know, some people will say it's nepotism, some people will say they'll have all these different labels for it, but it doesn't matter. We're human Mm -hmm. beings, and when it, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes to our own personal health or our family's health, we will move mountains just like you. You will run across Canada, you know, for your son and all, everybody else's son, you know, that's affected by a rare disease, and Mm so, you know, it would be to ask that question, like, who do you know that has a and go directly to that person like we've had nonprofits started that way we've had you know different organizations get up and running funding come through because of that and money does make mm-hmm. the world go around but start with those petitions because they're free yeah well
0: so. yeah and the beautiful thing about that too is teamwork right exactly um, i don't need to know how to do everything huh. but i also need to give myself enough credit that okay um, maybe i can maybe i know how to do a little bit more than what i know yeah, or worse than what I thought. Um, but you know, having those members of parliament and those people in politics, but also have those have those other lobbyists. Um, yeah. have have all those other people that you know just ask for support and say, "You, you're an expert in this. What 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 do I need to do? Like, I I'll give you the vehicle for this to occur that this run across yeah. Canada, which is which I believe has legs. It's it's a good vehicle." Uh, just as as your your your, your trans Canadian track across across the country, it's got legs, mm-hmm. um, but really it's about constructing that team. That mm-hmm. this person does this really well, this person does this really well, and then you know, driving passion amongst that team and saying, "Hey, I'm willing to light myself on fire in the middle of Trans Canada Highway."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, w- will you, will will you do the same? Exactly. Uh, in different ways and yeah. people are amazing over you know I, i'll say it again I, I'm, I'm, I'm 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 dumbfounded by the level of support and love and trust that i've received over the last many years and and it only makes you want to get up and do more
1: exactly and i think so many humans are looking for a cause that they can get behind, you know, because not everybody's Mm. gonna create one for themselves, but if they can get behind somebody else's cause and if they can get a sparkle of hope, you know, that lights them up. And so, you know, just the fact that you are, you know, number one, getting up to do this again, you went through Mm. the healing, you know, you are healed, you're able to do it again. And that now you've, you know, and, and I love that you've, you know, that, that awareness too, and coming back to your north star but with this idea too that the petitions are just as powerful as the dollars mm. is is so amazing so you, i think you're going to be giving well you've already given a gift to so many people and i mean there's so many aspects there's so much more i can talk to you about i just looked at the time and um and i think it's like 10 13 in in are you in calgary you bet yeah
0: absolutely yeah, yeah 10, uh, just south California.
1: of calgary in Orthodox, yeah okay nice Nice. Yeah, there's so much more that um, we could get into when it comes to rare diseases, but I know that you know to wrap this up. That for everybody who's listening right now, you know, get out your pens and and sign that petition. Where can people find it, or is it up yet? Or no, it's not up yet.
0: Um, okay. You know, petitions are, are really only only available for I think it's 90 days, and mm-hmm. so um, you know we definitely need it driving during the run because that's when you get okay. So, so right now we're just having those conversations, making the right contacts but you know all signs are pointing towards towards that um, Amazing. You know, their disease strategy position in in 2021 or 2022. but I, I I just I don't think it can wait.
1: No, I don't think so. And, you know, right now then, until that petition's ready, until, you know, COVID eases up a bit and enables you to hit the pavement, then the other thing people can do as well, just a little tip here, is that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm. And so, you know, having letters that people can write to government saying we need this rare disease strategy and then just telling their own personal stories I mean we wrote to every single MLA in our region in Canada we um, in federal government when COVID hit just advocating for small businesses and we got personalized responses back you know that were you know, people had gone on our website, you know, government officials had like dug into who we were and what we did. And, you know, they had really great responses. And then they came to our community and then they met with us and they said, okay, what do you need? Then we had a university come and say, okay, we want to study what it is you need. Mm -hmm. And so it's amazing how, you know, you're going to generate so much awareness through this run and you already have through the last run, uh, you know, but there are so many things that, you know, listeners out there, if you're hearing this, like, like I said, get out your pen. Okay, so wait for the petition, petition but um, write a letter to your local MLA and, and just demand that, that because we do need this and your neighbor most likely has a child who has a rare disease. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be you or a family member. So yeah, don't sit back and wait for Dave to have to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can, you can help too in your own special way. So absolutely. Wow, how else can people get involved then? Between now and and you, when you do leave?
0: Yeah, really, it's you know this is going to be a big communications effort. Um, yeah. So you know, like us on 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 Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Dave outruns rare on Instagram. Um, you know, outrun rare on 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 Facebook, um, and 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 just go to our website and really ultimately copy and paste and tell all your friends about 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 this about you know the, and start a conversation amongst your friends about the needs for more rare disease support and access and research um and and ask your friends hey do you have anybody in your life that, that's touched by rare disease yeah and start that conversation because you're going to be surprised of just how widespread it is yeah and not only that but not only widespread but how many people are, are waiting in the queue not getting the genetic um uh, testing that that's necessary um you know being kind of passed by back forth here and there and you know it might just be that they're not asking the right questions but when i started asking all the right questions when it came to the you know the the doctors and researchers they just simply said the system isn't set up for people like you when it comes to rare disease and so rare is everywhere and it's generally unsupported so have that conversation with your neighbor your coworker, and um yeah let's let's get this top of mind coming into 2021
1: 2022 i love it i love it oh my goodness so we're gonna have all the links in our show notes there oh there's my little one running around behind um <laughs> clearly she escaped the my husband's clutches for bedtime um mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to have all the links in the show notes there. And so everybody can follow. Um, We're going to be posting about everything that you're doing, which is amazing. And we're going to just do more on our end to raise awareness as well. So thank you. Yes. Yeah, so it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, as much as I want to keep you all myself to ask you all about how do I do this run and cycle across Canada? I mean, we're going to have to jump onto another podcast because I wanted oh. to ask you about fueling your body. I mm-hmm. want to ask, there's so much more. Um, and, um, and yeah, but I think this is a good place to wrap it up. What were you going to say?
0: Absolutely. Oh, let's definitely take this conversation offline because I would love nothing more than to be one of you know the people that you call or you reach out to of oh hey what do i do about here how do i yeah. like you know i would love to support you in any way that i can i love the work amazing. that you're doing and um yeah i want to support it
1: that's amazing Dave thank you so much i'm going to take you up on that hundred uh, 100 and hopefully when i'm passing through calgary you can join me for i don't know 50k or or more absolutely
0: <laughs> no doubt
1: yeah, that's amazing to. Okay, that's wonderful. Thanks everyone for being here on the show. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Here we are back from that show. What did you think, folks? Was he not incredible? I just looked at his Strava feed. Um, I'm on Strava. You can follow Dave on Strava, follow myself on Strava, so you can see how I'm training every day. And, you know, just Take note of the fact that one of his runs he just did the other day, he did seven laps around the reservoir in Calgary. I think it was 101 or 103 kilometers in four and a half hours. This guy can go. And so, on that note, you know, if you're somebody who thinks that, you know, the conditions are not perfect right now in the world, for running or exercising, maybe you're like us right now in its, you know, our town is covered in smoke because of the forest fires out of Oregon, people are losing their homes, people have died in these forest fires. And so I've complained about the smoke for sure, in light of the fact, um, you know, not, I should say not in light of the fact that, you know, there are people whose lives are being traumatized right now as a result of these fires, but still, just because we have smoke in the community, it's not an excuse to not get out there and train. So go to your local gym where they're filtering the air. You can get on a treadmill, you can get on a bike, and you can still cycle and run and exercise and train. So don't use this as an excuse to not get out there and move your body. You can still do it in a safe way as well. And so just want to say, you know, if you can go online to any of the organizations that are supporting the firefighters out there um, that are working so hard in all of these fires that are blazing through Western United States and Canada, please donate. Whether it's you know clothing, beds, um, bed fittings, um, furniture, whatever it is, to these families that have lost their entire lives—not their life, but their their whole entire lives—to um, these fires please go out there and do that now because there's so many people in need of support Uh, If you don't want to donate to the fires, then find an organization that you can support, whether it's volunteering and donating your time, your money, your resources of any kind. There's so many organizations out there that really rely on donations. So please go out there and do that. And of course, if you want to donate to our organization as well, 22 million strong, head over to the website, click on the donate button because we could definitely use the support in being able to work with these Indigenous communities across Canada and youth and physicians to teach that food is medicine. So thanks everyone for being with us. It has been a pleasure. We'll see you next week on the Eat to Hale show.